they had okay let me get this let me get this right here so they had 115 million dollars in net income positive this quarter but they had 39 million dollars in revenue that's confusing uh, hi i'm zane and i'm connor this is intern insights this podcast is for bold optimistic and humble thoughts on investing we give weekly interviews and stock analysis and today we hope you learn something but if not don't blame the interns zane and i are both contractors for the motley fool this podcast is separate and does not reflect any opinion of the motley fool this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be the sole reason to buy or sell any stock we want to do a quick shout out to all our new subscribers. So thank you. And we appreciate the support. Today, we have a special episode on STEM Energy. It's a company that Zane has done a lot of research on, um, and they specialize in battery storage. That's about as much as I know about the fundamentals of this company. So Zane, let's dive right into this. Tell me a little bit about STEM. Yeah, I'm going to make you into a STEM bull, I hope. Um, but to not waste anyone's time, this is exactly what we want you to know in three points, basically. Number one, STEM energy, well, STEM is a potential huge player uh, in an exploding market, and that is the renewable energy and battery storage market, um, which, as everyone probably knows, is growing extremely rapidly. Uh, STEM is a little known yet huge player. They've actually, if you take out um, Tesla's residential solar uh, energy storage applications. STEM has actually delivered more battery storage, um, you know, gigawatt hours than Tesla has uh, from 2016 to 2020, I believe, which is really interesting. So this is kind of like, in my opinion, Tesla energy minus the Tesla part. Um, you're getting a pure play in energy. You're not, you know, buying all the, the car business and the insurance business. No, you're getting the batteries and the software, uh, but mostly the software. Because my third point is Athena, their software platform, is the reason why you would buy this company. Um, the revenue is also growing extremely fast because of this, this platform, and they're projecting 50% average uh, revenue growth out till 2026. Um, and just a quick, you know, how are they looking on the balance sheet? They have no debt and about half a billion dollars worth of cash. So that is my quick spiel. Um, but why is this a company that you want to invest in? Why is this a company um, that's, worth, that's worth looking at more? So basically, there's a lot of problems that STEM is solving. Our energy grid right now has blackouts, intermittency problems, demand fluctuation. Uh, energy storage comes in to smooth all this out. So there's something called uh, the duck curve. Basically, it looks like a duck on a graph, and I'll, I'll put up a picture of it. It shows when um, energy is most in demand and where prices are generally the highest because of that. Um, and it shows, you know, two bumps in the morning, in the evening, generally. Um, and then solar and wind and most renewables are actually making more energy uh, when there's less demand. So we need to capture that supply and have it released when there's more demand and prices are higher. So uh, the battery storage steps in, distributes it at the right time uh, for the right price. And STEM is an early leader. I believe they were founded in 2009. So they've, they've been around for a long time. 
They don't have a founder left in the company and they kind of dealt with um, some private equity investments along the way. Um, but at this point, they have over 40 utility partners, uh, 1.4 gigawatt hours um, about, uh, operating across about a thousand different uh, unique sites um, and over 360 customers, a lot of them uh, on the Fortune 500. So this is a, a business with a really strong foothold that I'm surprised doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, I think more people actually do know about Tesla Energy than, um, than STEM, which is interesting. And the, the reason that I think they're so interesting is because they don't, they have a battery business, but they don't really care about it. This is where you're going to get 10% to 30% gross margins. They're just basically buying other people's batteries and reselling them. The Athena software platform is where you're going to get way higher, like 80% or 90% uh, margins because you know it's software and that's the nature of that business. Um, or market participation, which is basically uh, autonomous energy trading, uh, which is also really high margin. So the software is the key and they admit that, which is good. So they focus on that because you know batteries are kind of a commodity at this point. Uh, you can get them from many different suppliers and price is basically the only thing uh, that differentiates uh, in a lot of cases. So this is a company that has a powerful software, a lot of customers that you know are on the Fortune 500, are large businesses to small businesses, um, and they're serving all kinds of the market, whether or all parts of the market, whether you're a giant utility or um, you know just you know a commercial operator. Maybe you have a warehouse and you want energy storage or a hospital. So there's all kinds of different examples. So Connor, have I convinced you yet? Is there anything else that you need to know? Yeah, yeah. So. I'm a little bit confused. So if you were just a regular customer um, and say you wanted to use STEM energy, so give me an example of a customer that would use STEM energy and walk me through the process of not only getting the hardware, the actual battery itself, um, but walk me through what Athena is to that customer. So that's, that's kind yeah. of what I, what I want to, in order to understand this. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. So they actually publish a lot of case studies um, and that really helped for understanding what the business does. Um, here's one example of SunGreen Systems. Um, they basically bought a 3.76 uh, megawatt system um, and spent about $925,000 on this. This is a, a commercial office for, for manufacturing. Um, so they bought this system, roughly a million dollars, but... Athena allows them to save $645,000 a year, right? So that's 1.4 years payback period uh, in, in the good case. But so, so, how do, so does it save them money through saving energy in the actual warehouse? So um, that's, that's a good point. So you can use Athena um, in, in this situation, it's paired with renewables, which is the best situation. So they have solar on the roof of the factory. Um, and then what happens is they can save a ton of energy uh, that, you know, that they collect instead of wasting energy. Um, maybe, you know, there's not a lot of demand for it. Okay. The factory is not running right now, but there's the sun's beating down, right? There's, they're not using all of it. Um, they can then save that energy for later. Um, 
you know, and then use it when it's needed. So you're capturing a lot of energy that way, not having to produce it. Um, and another really interesting thing is the market participation. Athena's allowing um, customers to participate in the grid and sell energy back to other people. Um, you know, and you can collect the energy when it's cheap, right? or with renewables, which is cheaper than now than most fossil fuel sources of energy. And then when prices go up, say there's you know a blackout or a storm or whatever the case is, or just you know a different time in the day, you can take advantage of collecting it when it's cheap to get it and then selling it when it's a higher price. So there's kind of a energy arbitrage there. So the, there's that way. Um, and then just, you know, the the using the energy uh, kind of saving. So I think that case study, and there's many like this of a super fast payback time is really interesting. It shows the value of, of this software. Um, yeah, it, it's pretty pretty amazing. I wish I had it. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's super interesting. I kind of just want to summarize these points and, and make sure that um, not only I understand it, but everybody watching and listening does. So I'm a business. I own a manufacturing plant. I go to STEM Energy. I go and get a and get a battery. Say it's a million dollars. And this battery paired with Athena is going to allow me to utilize the energy that I collect and is going to be able to utilize the energy that I store. And then it's going to exert it when times that I need it and make it most efficient so that my business is saving a lot of money. Um, and then a lot of the renewable energy that I'm collecting, say that I have solar panels or something like that, that energy is not going to waste because that battery that STEM gives um, is able to hold that energy so much better than anything else that could be provided. Yeah, no, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and, you know, I have a stat here that on average, Athena's software is saving 10 to 30% off energy bills for businesses, which is huge because on that scale of a business, their energy consumption uh, is really high. Um, and also there's, people that will use Athena um, who are, you know, energy asset operators. So maybe they own a solar farm or a wind farm or whatever. Um, they're also increasing the average IRR. So like the rate of return on their investment uh, for these solar assets um, by, de by deploying uh, Athena by 10 to 30%. So they're increasing the return on investment. They're decreasing uh, energy bills. Um, it's doing a lot of good. And I want to tell you why, it's, it's important as well, like the edge that Athena has. People will say, you know, how is this better than Tesla energy, right? What's the difference between this and auto bidder? Well, this is- Auto bidder is Tesla's- Yeah, Tesla. Okay. Auto bidder is basically Tesla's, uh, Tesla's version of this. Um, and there's a couple key differences. Um, one being that, Athena is more focused on front of the meter applications. Um, this is basically before the energy gets to where it's used, right? You have a meter on your house. Um, and, you know, as the energy flows through it, you're running up the electric bill. Uh, the front of the meter applications is like the utility or the energy asset owner uh, before it actually gets there. So they're more focused on that. That's where they're deploying most of the storage. They also have over 20 million runtime hours on their software. So they have um, a huge um, amount of data. And it's also pretty geographically diverse, which is important because if you're working with energy, it's, 
it's different in every different state. If you're using solar in Arizona compared to Alaska, it's way different or you know, wind or whatever it is for that matter. Um, they're also, they also have a moat just in the way that they run the business with 10 to 20 year software contracts, 10 for like businesses and 24 utilities. So it's interesting, but at the end of the day, it's going to be a huge space. Battery costs are declining with rights law. Um, so the, therefore the costs of, you know, solar energy, renewable energy in general is decreasing. So it's going to, honestly, at this point, it doesn't make sense to invest in a new fossil fuel asset. So I think renewable energy is just going to be on the rise. Battery costs are going to be decreasing and the software is going to be uh, more and more useful. So they also have 24 patents on it, collecting 3.5 terabytes of data per year, which is just an unimaginable amount of data to me. Um, and they say, you know, pretty vaguely, but they do say that they're out competing other systems at their own game. Like they have um, come in to um, businesses that are running a different kind of energy software. And the businesses will say, hey, we think we can do better with Athena. And they prove them right. Athena ends up uh, out competing. Uh, here's an example at a bakery where they increased um, savings by 129% over another software. So there is uh, a data advantage there and a performance advantage. And that is in timing the, um, the fluctuations of energy supply and demand, right? It's how accurately can you forecast the prices of the energy, um, you know, how much solar and how much, you know, the sun is going to be beating down on a specific day. You know, it, are people in a certain neighborhood going to be wanting the power that you can sell to? How well can you forecast that and, and track that? Um, and then you can actually decide, you know, okay, this is when we should store energy uh, or this is when we should use it or this is when we should offload it back to the grid. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you, you hit a little bit on some competitive advantages there. Um, but can you give me just a, just a quick summary of the competition and you don't have to go that far because I know you just talked about a few of them, but just give me summary of the competition, which I know Tesla is one of them. Um, mm -hmm. if there's anybody else and then talk to me about it, one competitive advantage that you really like. Yeah. I think Tesla is really the, the only one doing the same kind of thing, um, you know, I, I did touch on this. I think the competitive advantage is working more with commercial applications. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how that business kind of came to be for STEM, why they're not focusing on residential or, uh, you, you know, utility, but focusing so much on commercial is just a cool niche that they can have. Um, and also, you know, with their advantage, it's tough because they do such a similar thing. They really do. Um, but I, I think they can have different advantages in different geographies. Like for example, California, STEM um, deploys a ton of energy storage in California. I mean, Tesla does as well, um, but I think they can find, you know, this is where our software works absolutely best and kind of market that that way and say, oh, this business is here, do really well with STEM compared to um, AutoBidder or, you know, another type of software. And, you know, every energy provider does have some kind of, software for this, right? Because you don't want to be, you know, physically sitting down and manually deciding uh, what to do and tracking the, the 
uh, fluctuations of energy supply and demand. But I think you know, STEM has so much data, they're obviously doing it better. People are going to be willing to pay for it. Quick ad break. Zen and I have put together a portfolio on stockcard.io with both of our favorite stock picks. Check out the link in the description below to see our best picks and use the promo code intern for a 10% discount off of your subscription. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I, I guess when you're talking about competition too, yes, in this specific space, uh, I guess you could say Tesla would be that sole competitor. But when you look at the, when you zoom out a little bit and you look at energy as a whole, you could look at some nuclear power um, plays that could potentially be some competitors in the future. Say renewables isn't actually the fix to a lot of the problems that we're facing, you know, as, as, the whole right now, um, one of those nuclear power companies could come in and potentially change something if renewables doesn't work out. I guess you could throw that in the risk category. Um, but yeah, that would be, I guess, I don't know, specifically with renewables, I, I don't see that changing in the next 10 years. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, this is a system that works really well with both renewable and fossil fuel. If you're a coal power plant or natural gas or whatever it is, you want to use energy storage just as much as uh, solar and wind farms, right? You need to be able to store the energy rather than the way we're, we're doing it now, right? Is, is thinking, let's try to predict exactly how many people are going to turn their lights on at any given time, right? And we'll just make that much at the time. It makes no sense. If you can have that storage and have that extra bit of cushion, right? You're going to save money. You're going to prevent blackouts. Um, it's... It just, you know, solving, solving the energy grid problem, I, I think. And yeah. you can kind of, kind of riff off into the risks from there. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking now the, the problem with the supply chain is something that they just brought up in this quarter. Obviously, it's been around a lot, um, but they're doing some things to combat that, uh, which is really good to see. For example... Uh, they're contracting their equipment 12 months in advance when they can. Um, they have half a billion dollars on the balance sheet. So they're buying equipment um, when they can, when it becomes available way ahead of time. Um, and they can usually, you know, get it pretty quickly. Um, so, and another thing that they're talking about, another risk is that they think lithium ion battery supply and the manufacturing of the batteries is going to 4x in the next three to four years. So that could be a potential oversupply of batteries, um, which is kind of the opposite of what we're seeing now. Um, so in some sense, it would be welcomed, um, but that would even further commoditize it and hurt that you know, potential 10 to 30% margin that they want to get on the battery business and the hardware itself. Um, and you know, getting those batteries, they're mostly getting from Tesla. And a couple other suppliers, I believe BYD is one, Panasonic, Samsung. If you know one of these companies can't supply or decides, you know, we can get better prices somewhere else, or this is a smaller company, we don't want to work with them as much, it's not worth it, they could be really in trouble because they're pretty focused on a couple big suppliers, although they do say they try to diversify the supply chain geographically and use a whole bunch of different companies. Um, but another thing is not even a hardware problem, but there's, there's a risk in concentrating with software. 
they run Athena on AWS. And if for whatever reason, they have a problem with that, um, there's a cybersecurity risk to AWS, um, whatever it may be, uh, Athena could be jeopardized. Yeah, and I, and I wonder, you know, talking about how an oversupply of lithium ion batteries could potentially harm the business, but I wonder if that could actually be a good thing for them. Um, because if you're talking about pairing with the Athena software, that's a competitive advantage in of itself. So it's not like a company can get, just go purchase a cheap battery and then have, you know, the software in order, you know, that, that they can save a bunch of money on energy storage. Uh, so if they could actually get the batteries for cheaper, they might still be able to have enough pricing power to keep that price above paired with Athena. Yeah, I, I think... The same thing, honestly, they you try to get the batteries in their hands, right? Because then it's sticky. It's like, oh, well, you have our batteries. You sign this 10 or 20 year contract to use our software. Uh, why would you switch, especially if it's doing a good job? So get, you know, get the battery in, even if you, you know, lose a little bit of money or have break even margins on it. Uh, it doesn't matter. I think by increasing the supply for X, more people are going to think, oh, the prices are lower. I can actually get my hands on these batteries and then the software really rakes in the money on top of it. Right now, most of their business and most of their revenue comes from selling the battery storage itself, selling mm -hmm. the batteries. Um, but in time, I think that'll take up a smaller and smaller portion of the revenue as uh, the software component grows. Yeah, and it's a growing business and I can understand why that they would want those margins around 30% for their battery business. But I can also see in the future, once that becomes a nothing burger for the business where they're like, okay, we can do without that revenue. I can actually see them compressing those margins to where you're almost selling batteries at cost in order to just gain new customers um, on the Athena program. So that could be an opportunity or an interesting thing for the business in the future, for sure. Yeah. So have I convinced you? What's your bottom line? That's, that's pretty interesting. Do you, do you want me to hit on financials real quick? Yeah. All right. Um, so I don't know a ton about energy storage. Obviously, I've, I've Zane's talked to me about it before, and you know it's just kind of all gone over my head with kilowatts and everything else. Um, but I like to think that I can somewhat read a financial statement. So I looked, I looked over um, their balance sheet. So they, like Zane said earlier, they have five hundred and seventy-five million dollars in cash and short-term investments, um, and they've actually been paying down debt like crazy, which is really good to see as an investor. They went from four hundred million dollars in debt to 115 to now zero. Um, so that's good. You know, they don't have, they don't have any long-term debt to worry about. And also the revenue growth is pretty ridiculous. Obviously they're small they're a high growth company, but in 15 months, they went from 4 million to nearly 40 million um, in this past quarter. So uh, overall that stuff looks pretty good. Um, the trailing 12 months net income is, you know, negative uh, 160 million and they are also free cash flow negative. Uh, so that's, you know, obviously a concern, but you have a young business that's growing. Um, obviously you're going to see not profitable business at this stage in, in the game, but then to talk a little bit about Q3 and their financials from Q3. So they had positive gross margins for the first time this past quarter at 8%. They had positive net income for the quarter for the first time. Um, this was weird though. So, so I've looked at this and I was a little confused. Um, so what they said was that the positive net income, and they've been not profitable for the longest time. So, and they, so they had 
okay, let me get this, let me get this right here. So they had $115 million in net income positive this quarter, but they had $39 million in revenue. That's confusing. Um, so my understanding for what happened is that they had a bunch of warrants out for their stock. And so they had a bunch of these outstanding warrants, which allows investors to buy the stock at $11.50. Well, so they went public last year, I believe. Um, and, and so they probably had these warrants out last year. And then they had an expiration date to where they were like, you have to redeem these warrants by Q3 in 2021. And so everybody had to redeem them. And I think it kind of worked as a capital raise and went directly to net income, but not to revenue. I was a little bit confused by this. Um, yeah, I, have I can't pretend to know how it works either, but it's a huge non-cash item that hits the net income. It hits the earnings. It doesn't hit the revenue. It doesn't hit, it really <laughs> dodges the revenue, but it makes them look super profitable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I, you know, but don't expect as an investor, if you're investing in STEM energy, I would not expect um, to see positive net income in the next quarter. Yeah, I, they said that, I think all warrants outstanding are, are gone. They're, you know, they're all redeemed. So this is not something that they can, they think is going to happen again. So we can't, we can't count on that. Yeah. Next quarter, like next year, Q3, they're going to have to hide the uh, year over year growth. Yeah. For net income. <laughs> yeah. It'll look so, it'll look pretty rough. Um, yeah. But, but it's wanted... not, it's, it's not anything that I would, I would really worry about. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously it's confusing. I don't completely understand it, but, uh, it's not something that has me like major red flag, mm -hmm. anything like that. Yeah, this is, you know, this is why we focus more on cash flows, you know, see what yeah. the business is doing, the non-cash depreciation or warrants or whatever. It just kind of muddies the water and makes it less clear what you're actually looking at. So I'm yeah. trying to look at the, the cash flow, but I also wanted to hit on the management just a little bit. They, like I kind of mentioned earlier, they no longer have a founder in the picture, which is not not great to see for me personally, but their management team still looks solid. They have John Carrington, the CEO, who has a lot of experience and a 3% stake in the company, which is uh, pretty significant. Um, a lot of that uh, he actually got through like stock options and you know from being the CEO, not just you know buying stock out of his own pocket. So it's worth mentioning. Uh, but he still does you know own a pretty significant stake. The rest of the management team. Uh, it, it's big. It's like one of these, these um, you know, startups where they have a 20 person management team. Um, and so it's kind of tough to look at on the investor presentation, but there's a lot of experience in there with energy specifically. Um, and they also have a lot of strong backing. They went public through a SPAC merger um, with Starpeak uh, acquisition. Um, they, you know, they operate with energy acquisitions mostly. And um, they also are backed by Total, which is one of the one of the oil giants, a French oil giant. So they have some pretty strong backing, people that believe in the company, uh, and pretty knowledgeable management. So that's you know, it ticks the box for me. I think it's a plus. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a plus to me. Three percent—that's nothing to bat an eye at um, for ownership stake CEO. That's pretty good. Um, so yeah, do you want you want to hit the bottom line? What do we think? I think we know my bottom line. I would buy it. I actually am a shareholder of STEM if you're not, you know, if you didn't already think that. Um, but I think, you know, I'm not buying them for right now. I'm buying them for 
10 years in the future when I have this grand vision that everyone's going to have solar, everyone's going to get, you know, renewable energy, um, you know, you're going to be able to sell it back to the grid and, and make money off of it. We don't need peaker plants that are super polluting and you have to perfectly time when everyone's going to demand electricity and produce it. Um, I think people are going to have a lot more control over their energy. It's going to be a lot cheaper and it's going to be very abundant and energy storage is going to help in that, um, bringing costs down, uh, you know, kind of democratizing energy in a way. So that's my vision. I think STEM has a huge part to play in that. There's a lot of big, there are a lot of players, you know, Tesla being a huge one to compete against. It's another company that I love. So generally, you know, and I think they, they just kick ass. So I wouldn't want to compete with them, but it's a huge space. So I think there's a spot for them. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I will say going into this, I thought STEM was just integrated with renewable energy. Um, that was kind of my understanding, understanding that they actually are integrated with fossil fuel energy and energy in general kind of changes my perspective on the company, knowing that they could integrate with nuclear energy. Mm -hmm. They could integrate with any way that you can find to get energy that they can collect that and they can store that. And so that changes my perspective a lot um, as a potential investor. I will say a lot of this stuff um, is is something that i i'm not that familiar with and don't completely understand but understanding the mission and the goal and the potential market and you know seeing the growth of the company and paying attention to that i can see it as potentially earning a spot in my portfolio in the future um but you know it would be one of those small positions that i throw away and don't look at for a very long time so that's exactly how it is for me um this is a company that I wanted to buy uh, in my investment club, right? I might've told you this, but uh, I actually you know, wanted to pitch it because we were looking at it and we we're like, this is really cool. But at the time it was a, it was a SPAC. So we couldn't go through with it, uh, which was disappointing because we thought it could be like a long-term legacy holding. Um, you know, they ended up shooting it down because it was a little bit too risky, but that's you know, what I like. I'd rather be in a risky company um, being bold, growing really fast, but it just didn't you know, fit the mission for them. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And in the past two weeks, I guess everybody watching and listening, you've kind of gotten a little bit of taste of my investment style, a little bit of taste of Zane's because last week I did Garmin, <laughs> which is a pretty safe pick. And then this week we're doing, um, we're doing STEM. So, you know, you get a, get a little taste of both of our different investment styles. Exactly. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. So I guess I'll uh, I'll close us out unless you got anything else you want to add. That's all I got. All right, awesome. Well, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, we appreciate all the new subscribers again. Thank you. Um, we'll see you guys again next week. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Intern Insights. As a reminder, Zane and I are contractors for The Motley Fool and nothing in this episode should be used as the sole source for any investment decision. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to our stock card on stockcard.io. The link is posted below. Thanks for listening.